So I was thinking a few minutes ago about what it takes to do a Dharma talk. And it certainly takes all of you for me to do a Dharma talk. And then it takes um, a magical thing called the Dharma, which I'm convinced is, you know, existed from the beginning of time. It wasn't that Buddha um, invented it. And then uh, it takes a fourth thing, and that is a space, this boundless space that we're all in. And um, like with the idea of giver and receiver, there's no separation. We're kind of all together in this. So thank you for being here. And now a little disclosure. Though we have a choice how we deal with life's challenges, including pain, grief, anger, guilt, we also need to realize that we do that in a myriad of ways. We don't want to add on to the pain that, about how we deal with it. Then we'll just be adding to the pain. And, and something that really um, has been with me is a sutra of Buddha's where he talks about, it's called the two dart or two arrow sutra. You can look it up. And basically the first arrow gives us this uh, injury and the second one is what we attach to it and how we do that. The ancient Jews had a practice called Kriya where one would run around the house and tear off their clothes and scream when someone they loved died. And the alternative to this, just to keep with the idea of, the cho of choices, they could take a black ribbon and cut it into little pieces. My father experienced this when he was two in Beirut, Syria, when his father was killed in an accident when a bridge exploded. When have you been happy? Was it when you did well? Was it when you connected to another human being? Was it when your child was born or when she took her first step? What did you feel? What made you happy? Are you happy? When you remember that event that made you happy. Now, if all's well, works well, I'm going to share a video by uh, Starlet. That's her pen name. And she's in our Zen writing group. And she has uh, been living in a bed for many years. This poem is titled The Light. Every time I say I am happy, I feel embarrassed, as if I didn't have the right. I know that. How could I forget the pain I live in? But that's just it. I have lost so, so much that I appreciate so, so much more what I still have to be able to see the blue sky with a cloud being caressed by sunlight brings joy to my soul. Being able to cuddle up with my purring kitty cats, being able to laugh in a conversation with a friend, being able to move, walk and talk, read, write, and most of all, create. The point is, I say to myself, you can't feel happy when you're feeling so much pain. You're supposed to feel utterly depressed. You are in so much pain, you should be screaming. But that's just it. I am surrounded and tortured by flames. I am suffering so much already that it would be a pity to not be able to take the light in the beauty of life.
It's so funny how, uh, no matter how many times you rehearse something, some little glitch might appear. So these are uh, 36 drawings and writings that I've done thinking about happiness since um, uh, my head student ceremony. And where uh, what I realized yesterday, which was quite a surprise to me, was um, I was dealing before with Buddha holding up a flower and Kashapa smiling. And then I realized that uh, Buddha wasn't just holding up the flower, but he was smiling too. And that's what Kashapa got. And Monday morning in Zazen, uh, Sandra turned off her video and she had a beautiful flower there. And I thought, in spite of all this devastating tragedy that we face every day in our world, in our personal world and in the, the bigger world, this flower just maintains its, its beauty and its structure. And it, it has so much strength and it gives me strength. I mentioned this to Lori the other day and she, you know, found the same thing in nature about how it, it's, no matter what's going on in the world, it maintains this incredible integrity and beauty that makes us happy. So I'm going to look at happiness. Seems we keep making decisions based on whether that will make us happy. What would make you happy? Can you be happy without hurting? And where this comes from is um, in the original meta phrases, there's a line uh, starts with, may all beings be happy. And um, Peg was uncomfortable with that line because she was thinking that when a certain person uh, was happy, it might make someone else hurt. It might be giving to one and taking from another. So um, I'm asking that question. Can you be happy without someone else hurting? Can you have a hundred hour meal without thinking or, or feeling sad for, you know, what that hundred dollars could do somewhere else? And I assume you're seeing the pictures change, right? Good. So if bad pain is zero, can we hope to get beyond five to 10? Do we need to hurt to be happy? Viva Lakirti said he was sick because all living beings are sick. Can one be happy when some are sick? And Lori did a beautiful course on Vimala Kirti, and he was sick, supposedly. And so he wanted these bodhisattvas. To, he was a famous lay bodhisattva and so brilliant that he intimidated the other ones. And Vimala Kirti wanted uh, some of them to come and visit him, but they were too scared because he always uh, clarified things, so whatever they said. And um, finally, Buddha kind of assigned it to some people and, and he got the people and that's when he, he got the people to come visit him. And that's when he said, uh, I'm sick as long as people are sick. I went to buy tuna because it would make me happy to eat tuna. But I remembered my precept, don't kill, and also felt sad for Mr. Tuna. I actually, as a kid, was in a tuna factory and watching all these um, pretty large women sitting at tables, picking out the tuna from the bones. And I found out years later that now they send those tunas to China or something to have them, anyway, dissected, whatever word we can use. I should have gone to the tuna cans and said, may all tunas be happy. And this is Sam the tuna before he was Canned. 
I couldn't even go down the aisle yesterday at Central Market where the tunas were. Getting a little sensitive, I think. So when you have a desire, when are you happy? Is it not until it is fulfilled and then it is gone? Ha, I heard that after two bites, you aren't really tasting it. And what about desires that will never be fulfilled? Can they make you happy too? I'm really curious about the effect that, that uh, memory could be here. Like if you, can you be just as happy thinking about an ice cream cone as eating it? You know, something that I really look forward to my life, in my life is this kind of annual lunch that my daughter and I have. And it takes about five dates before we actually meet for lunch because one of us gets really busy the day before or the moment before or the morning before or whenever kids get sick or, you know, all kinds of things happen. But so finally we went to an Indian restaurant and it's kind of fun at the Indian restaurants we have um, you have your choice of how hot it's going to be. So that's the three degrees of, of hotness. I asked her if she was happy. Of course, she answered. That threw me. What? I asked. Well, that was needed in these difficult times. Is the world broken? I asked. No, she said. I really love her. And I asked Peg a similar question. I said, can we jump for joy in these devastating times? And Peg said, that's when we really need to do that. Quora says, the only thing that makes you unhappy are your own thoughts. Change them. Don't we love that? How simple. The first sentence is undeniable, but how easy is, is it to change a thought? Ever tried to change someone else's thought? It is an exercise in futility. And this is thought number, if you're wondering what it looks like, a thought, 0873519. Oh, I've been, I don't know if I've said this before, probably have, but but I can kind of enjoy these because um, in a sense, I didn't do them. You know, they just kind of come through me or something. So, uh, and I didn't rehearse anything when I wrote, when I made these pieces, I get a piece of paper and I write a word down and then the whole thing kind of comes. So, um, so it's a fun process for, to me and, um, the quote for yesterday relates to this, and I wanted to read that to you. And I'm going to change the gender I, to, so I don't offend anyone. Um, the perfect woman employs her mind as a mirror. It grasps nothing. It refuses nothing. It receives, but not, does not keep. Chan Zhu. So I'll be happy if I get my way. And we hear people saying that. So I'll work hard to get my way, doing whatever is needed. And we all see in ourselves or others, you know, that, that being done. What alternatives might exist? Coming from a place of happiness, is getting my way so important? Why? It was fun yesterday, I gave this talk in St. Louis and um, this all took place in my mind in a junkyard in St. Louis that many people know about. I don't know if there's that many junkyards nowadays where you can just wander around and salvage uh, parts from, you know, you find your car and then you take parts out. But there was one rear view mirror that was hanging by a couple of wires that I saw maybe 30 years ago, and I kind of uh, went back there. I dreamt I had a conversation with a car that had been totaled and then trashed by vandals. I heard the rearview mirror singing, happy days are here again. 
How can that be, I asked? You are practically dead. I can still see others, she whispered. So that's the rear view mirror talking to me and also thinking about um, the flower. Did you know that when you forget something, it takes seven seconds and then you remember? So anyway, it, it happens. But so the flower, like, like Sandra's flower, um, like I said before, despite everything, it still smiles. Cousin Brian said the world can't be broken because the warranty hasn't run out. This is my positive and funny DNA. But it isn't fixed either. Still much work to do. We are all going to be happy. She didn't like that thought one bit. This goes kind of into what happens in our mind as we're sitting. She tried to strangle it. She tried to hide it under her bed. And then she gave up and she stared at it as if she was looking in a mirror. Soon she blinked and it wandered off on its own. She was so happy. And this relates too to the thing I just read, the perfect woman employs her mind as a mirror. You know, and we're doing that when we're sitting, we're taking that time to look in the mirror. Would you bring a kid into this world that was just bearable? And we've all heard a lot of people ask that. Is it possible to be happy and awake? You know, when you're looking in the mirror, are we kind to make people happy or is it just to help them with their pain? And that goes to, again, to my question about, can you go beyond being, I'm okay? You know, and certainly when you're not okay, that's what you want, to be okay. But is there something beyond that? In Zen, there is a simple way to always get what you want, and that is to want what you get. But how do you do that when you get sickness, old age, and death? Want is not about desire, but it is what is on your altar. Cherish it because it is sacred, or cherish it because it is ordinary. And I think that's an interesting idea in Zen of things being both sacred and ordinary, and there being sacredness in the ordinary. We were asked about our core belief. Mine is that we can end suffering and be happy. This is utterly impossible because the suffering is so great, and yet it isn't those in, desire, in dire straits that are the only ones that suffer, nor is it only the privileged who are happy. Now, I, I had heard that um, as you start to make more than $70,000 a year, your happiness goes down. I thought that was interesting. Um, and also that the Burmese, who are very poor, are some of the happiest people on earth. Um, I mentioned this to Peg, this idea that uh, this was my core belief, and she said, no, no, that's an aspiration. So it's been fun to, uh, to deal with that. And as we are going to be reading um, Joko Beck's new book, she has a whole section on core beliefs. And Dogen's statement, um, to discover the self is to lose the self. That self is to, um, seems to be a lot of our core beliefs. Lojan suggests transforming bad circumstances into the path. 
How do we feel when we are on the path? Are we happy? What is the path anyway? Is it more than transform bad circumstances? Are bad circumstances our only teachers? And here's a shark coming up to, oh, the shark, I should have written this out, but the shark just uh, tore through that man's leg. And he's using this as some kind of teaching, I guess. Mommy Goose, oh, this was fun too in St. Louis because some of the people there knew this situation where uh, at the college I used to teach at, there were uh, geese and every spring we would stand outside and watch the mother goose push her little babies off this rooftop so they could learn to fly. Ma Mommy goose told baby goose to jump off the roof. Her, and that's the baby goose's core belief was to my death, but mom insisted and a flight ensued. Baby was not happy to jump, but she sure was elated when her wings spread and caught a little draft to soften her landing. And then I wrote down below, what beliefs are keeping you from jumping off the 100 foot pole? And uh, we just read this koan about jumping off the 100 foot pole uh, Monday night. And there were two things that I discovered that I'd never realized about the koan and jumping off the 100-foot pole. One is, kind of the bad news is, even as difficult as it is to jump off the pole, that's not the end, that's not enlightenment. That's just like the beginning of the path. And the other thing, which I guess I discovered a few weeks ago, thinking about this jumping off the 100-foot pole, is you don't, um, you can't see down. It's like a foggy day. You can't see down. You don't know what's going to happen when you jump. And that really is what takes it, makes it such a brave act. If you could see what's going to happen, it wouldn't be quite the same. And then someone said, and I don't know if that was Lori, that you never land either. You didn't say it or it's not true? Am I on mute? Yeah, no, I don't think I said that. I don't recall okay. saying that. But anyway, people say that, that you never land either when you jump off. So we fail continually, as, and I fail continually, and this is the time I failed. Used paper goes in one place and used plastic bags in another. I'm trying to separate the paper stapled to the plastic in trying to save the hospitality of the earth for creatures and a staple stuck in my finger and drew blood. I said to hell with this being a goody two shoes. I threw it all in the trash. Save the earth? No way if I'm going to be spewing blood. I'm not happy. Are you feeling peaceful, joyous or happy? Today in Zazen, I felt peaceful until I remembered that I soon would be seeing an old friend. Then I was happy. Resting there, I felt joy that he was still in this world. I don't think I maintained the peacefulness in this elated state. Nor did I lose it. I was just happy and joyous. So it's kind of interesting how one emotion kind of takes over from the other and it doesn't push erase the others it just that's what is foremost in your mind or my mind in a way i felt guilty when i didn't stick to buddhism because that is my self-assigned focus joko beck thought that the experience of the present moment is enlightenment what more could there be and i pressure cooked acorn squash and it was almost soup so once again, I fail at actualizing my intention. Now I need to figure out how to make it soup, the soup, it almost is. And then the rest of it is about going to the hairdresser and telling her uh, to do whatever she wanted and she cut all my hair off and then my wife was upset. 
Uh, and then I asked, why is the sun shining? Nothing is turning out how I want it to be. So um, we all have those kind of days, I guess. We live in a world half bent on conclusions. Who did it? I'm more interested in the process of what Blake described as persisting in his folly. Luckily, I have sisters and brothers and teachers and all of you who tell me I'm heading into a ditch. Still, despite their admonitions, I mostly live happily in a muddy ditch, which is one reason I love pigs. I take it that pigs never complain about the mud. I think imagination is critical to happiness. We imagine our future like the Jews imagined for 40 years, a land of milk and honey. And when they got there, then they focused on the Masonic age. There is always a place to imagine all being free, all delusions ending, all Dharma gates being entered and Buddha's way being embodied. We can smile because it isn't if, but when. And my joke here is that these guys are tongue-tied. In Aesop, the fox reframes his failure to get the grapes to, I bet they are sour. Is that what we do to alleviate the second dart, the pain we feel when we are hurt? Is this simply a parlor trick? Is happiness just a point of view available to all? We also call the spiritual bypassing of using, using our practice to change our view of things so that we'll be happy. And I, I, you know, I'm confused about when it's spiritual bypass and when it's making a, a positive choice. Mensa, like, Mensa's uh, my name for my wife because she's always figuring things out. Mensa likes good coffee. Tom Hanks likes a fancy Airstream when traveling. And he actually put a chimney on it. Is happiness conditional on the state of the material world? Is there ever enough? So that's my wife holding up her coffee cup and Tom Hanks with his Airstream chimney stuff. There are delusions that get me in trouble and imagination that creates magic. Sometimes it is hard to tell the difference. Happiness comes from imagination. We are able to see a situation from multiple vantage points and make lemonade from lemons. We love our kids and we want them to have the good life where things go as they want them to go. Buddha was given everything one could desire. The hope was he would become a king and never have to experience the unpleasantness unpleasant side of life. Then he came upon sickness, old age, and death, and became curious about the suffering he was never supposed to see. Now, the, the 102 and a half on the left corner, that's my father-in-law, who's 102 and a half, and he's old age. And then um, the guy on the bed is, um, has COVID, and then, so that's uh, sickness. And um, the figure on the bottom who's, who's uh, raising his hand is dead. And it says DOA, you know, dead on arrival. My son said I was all wrong about happiness because sadness was so useful. I said, I agree. He said, we agreed to disagree. I disagreed. So, uh, you know, and Peg's thing is, it's all a definitional argument. So, but it's funny, this thing that when we agree and disagree and, and then I think maybe my next um, investigation is going to be about, about forgiveness and twisted karma. Because I think that keeps us from happiness. 
it, it's kind of, anyway, get to that in a few months. When your prayers are answered, cannot that be called happiness? And that was from a movie I saw, Memoirs of a Geisha. What are prayers to be answered? May this heart be open, may the mind be boundless, may the body be at ease, may all beings awaken. These are prayers that are answerable for all beings. Only one person can win the lottery. Happiness for me is thinking about happiness. That makes me happy. I think some of you probably know this about me, is that, um, you know, whereas for some people, going out on the river might be, make them happy, or for Lori, walking in the woods. But uh, actually, for me, it's thinking about happiness or whatever. Happiness is easy when you are getting what you want. And depending on how fickle you are, that can be fairly often. But it also creates dukkha, like a wheel out of balance. No sooner are you smiling because your AC came on, then you start worrying that your dinner will be a flop or whatever. Is that how we want to live? Bump, bump, bump. And that's playing with the metaphor of the wheel out of balance and uh, our suffering. The secret to happiness is to listen. It connects you to your heart. It connects you to another. It creates compassion when you see others are facing. When you see what others are facing. Talking can just be fidgeting. Listening is being still. So still the squirrel believes you are just a tree. And we, um, a lot of times we eat in our sunroom and we look out through these really uh, tinted windows so the squirrels don't see us. And it's kind of that feeling, like what would it be if they would just accept you in their world like they accept the trees, not as anything possibly dangerous. She said, this too will pass. And it is a learning experience. We're trite. She said they were trite statements. She opted for compassion while I opt for perspective. I asked myself, how can I alter this meal of life so that it makes a lovely dinner? Hmm, that's what I was aiming for. Is that trite? So kind of sadly, uh, this is a relative of mine who has a blog and she wrote this. And so I posted this picture on Facebook and then I tried to find the blog and she had taken it off. And I, I'm sorry about that because um, you know, it's not like things are tried or not tried or this way or that way. They're, they're both tried and not tried. And this might be interesting um, to you because it's how my drawings are before I do all the Photoshop stuff. So there's some stage of all the drawings like this. Star athlete, now 50 years later, can't walk because his foot won't heal. He was our star athlete in high school. And uh, there's been about six of us who are in a Google group and every day talking about this and that. And it's kind of cool that we have a uh, person on the other side of the fence who uh, is deeply fundamental religion and Trump and the whole bit, and he doesn't uh, back down. And so it's been interesting. He keeps things lively. I love how everything he gives, every time he gives a health update, he ends with something he's looking forward to, a movie, a book, time with his wife or son. That's how he survives and thrives. And it's kind of like Starlet that I showed you at the beginning, where, and, and I hope you notice the smile at the end. Um, she is so beautiful in the way she's um, taken on life. And here's Willie with his uh, big foot and his funny crutches. Going all the way has been on my mind. 
It is just not turning toward the difficulty of pain and suffering, but it is fully embracing difficulties as a best friend. It is said in Buddhism that being born in the human realm is of great advantage because we can become liberated from dukkha. This is not just feeling okay, but jumping with joy. The good stuff in life is hard to achieve if you try. We want love and happiness and even to be liked by others, but good luck if you make these aspirations into things you can get by trying. They are byproducts when you care for things. They are available when you find your true home, which was a book that Tiknahan wrote. Um, I'm often confusing goals or aspirations and byproducts. You know, a lot of things that we want um, aren't things we can directly uh, get. We have to do something else. And then they just happen. Wildflower fire. <laughs> That's funny that I, I keep saying that. Wildflower smoke. Wildfire smoke reaches North Pole. These are the headlines the other day. Taliban captures three more capitals. You know, now I think it's uh, 30 or something. My family has died. Can I still jump for joy? I looked at a picture of a carnation. This is Sandra's carnation and saw some exuberant. It wasn't a carnation actually, but saw some exuberant exuberance despite that it was dead. If it can celebrate life, why can't we? When have you been happy? Was it when you did well? Was it when you connected to another human being? Was it when your child was born? Or when she foot, took her first step? What did you feel? What really made you happy? Are you happy when you remember this event that made you happy. And I still remember my son taking his first steps and actually I mean, he went up to about nine. Uh, so um, now I'd like to hear from you all and we're going to do the popcorn deal where um, Nelda, you're first, and then you call on someone else. Good morning, everyone. Nelda has cleverly replicated the study in the Zendo in her back house, and so that's why it appears. Right. <laughs> she's in the study in the Zendo. First precept, tell the truth. <laughs> oh. I forgot. Good morning, everyone. Wow, Kim, what, wow, what food for, for contemplation. Um, I was making notes the whole time about things that struck me, that just bounced off of me. Um, so many different perspectives. Um, and and uh, good for Peg for saying, you know, that's all semantics. We get hung up on words because I get hung up on the word happiness. You and I have talked about that before. You know, I've been taught that happiness is a, a human construct, you know, and, and your happiness depends on what your construct is. Yeah, yes, yes, yesterday, um, one of the questions was by the, actually the person who had brought me there, the, the teacher, um, he said, so, so what, what do you think happiness is? And I had to say, I have no idea. Right. So I love that you remind us that our memories are as real as our experiences. Thank you for that. Because as you were talking about your son's first steps, you took me right back to my son's first steps at uh, First Methodist Church Pumpkin Patch when he was nine months old and the delight of that. Um, and the day he was born, and uh, 
even, and we've talked about this too, that, that one of the most poignant for me um, paths to walk is a path, is the path of grief. It's my favorite um, shadow emotion to, to, walk the, to walk the path up because it's so interwoven with so many other emotions that it's such a lovely practice of holding everything, holding your deep loss, holding your deep love, holding your memories. And one part of that, of that multicolored quilt is, is empty without all the other parts when we walk the path of grief. So, um, so I love that you've taught us in this so many things. One, the way your mind works. Two, I love your art and, and deciphering it uh, with you as you tell about it. And that it's not either or, everything is interwoven and everything is linked to happiness, ultimately, ultimately, actually. You need to call on someone. Oh. I'm done. Oh. So, uh, okay, let me see. So, Brian, how are you? Will you tell us more? Sure. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Kim. I mean, this is uh, just inspiring, kind of mesmerizing, uh, looking at your art and the messaging behind it. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and yeah, it's a good reminder just for, for me of the ongoing process as it relates to happiness of shifting away from what I conventionally believed, that it was something that you achieved through some level of material success and kind of brought up with, you know, a lot of that conditioning and, um, you know, or chasing after some sort of peak experience. And I'm, you know, trying more and more to just be able to appreciate the things, uh, the the ordinary things every day, and that that's accessible to us all the time. So uh, it was a great reminder uh, to see the art and the messages that you have here this morning. So thank you again. Um, and I'll call on uh, Maria. Hi. <laughs> yeah, um, I was just thinking about um, like being okay in a backdrop of not okay, you know, where everything obviously in our human terms and perspectives isn't okay, but having to find an okay. And if we take on everybody's not okay in the world, or around our family, because there's always going to be illness and sickness. And something about I've had to learn to find an okay amongst sickness and ill health, and to learn not to take on fully, wholly, and embody everybody else's illness and not okay, but how to keep hold of my okay when somebody close isn't okay is the hardest thing at all. How to smile, how to be happy, and finding like Laurie, you know, walking in the woods, you know, the joy of flowers, the joy of right in front, the joy of the moment and that it's possible to be happy. It's possible to be okay when everything around us is falling down. Like you said about Peg saying, you know, that's the time to jump for joy. It's like when there's so much suffering penetrating our bodies, joy leaks through if we allow it to it's still there we can see it but it's a it's and it but it does involve a sitting practice it does involve paying attention it involves staying close staying close to the moment and as soon as we move away from the moment that's when everything starts to shake again and then coming back again to the moment so yeah smiling being happy when everything isn't okay it, it's a to say it's a challenge, I think is the wrong thing to say. It's, uh, it's coming back and making it not a challenge. It's coming back to right that moment where everything is so simple. Like Flint says, how simple can we make this be? There's something about 
just coming back and allowing ourselves to when someone so close to us is so ill we can often feel that we're not allowed to be okay we're not allowed to smile it doesn't feel right and that was my challenge for three and a half years how can i allow myself to be happy of to even allow to feel an essence of that when somebody next to me is in so much pain but we have to come back and stay close and there it is there it is and by doing that we allow others to do that when we're not okay you know it's giving permission to the world to be okay when i'm not okay please smile if i'm not okay you know and stay close and i'll do the same i'll promise to do the same when you're not okay and keep my strength to be close with you during those times and keep my smile thank you um john uh, Harmon, sorry, there's two Joneses. Um, I find it ironic that the term or the feeling of happiness brings on such anxiety. Um, and maybe it's just me, but it's it seems like there's just such craving and clinging for happiness and fear that we won't have it or fear that it will go. And I wonder, you know, we, we keep talking about appreciating the entire um, range of existence, of the, the sorrow and the joy. And I wonder if we could be able to do that more if there would be less anxiety around happiness because it would be a wonderful thing when it happens. And then when it doesn't, another wonderful thing in terms of wonder uh, <clears throat> would also come, in, which might be a, a, a tragic grief. There's a, there, there's a saying by uh, um, William Blake that really says that to me. Um, he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. So that's why we're still reading Blake. <laughs> uh, and the quote that I decided to write down of all the things that Kim said today was Cora's, which was the only thing that makes you unhappy are your thoughts change them. I like that. And so now, um, Joan, I'm, I'm going to ask you in the future and all of you, you know, like, when is it spiritual bypassing? And when is it making a positive choice? You know, that when, when you did that, I, 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 I kind of wondered if what I'm doing is spiritual bypassing. Uh, I, I thought of that with the uh, condition of our environment. And uh, I heard Joanna Macy <clears throat> recently on, uh, on being, and Krista Tippett turned to her and said, and so now with all that's going on with the environment and Joanna Macy has been so instrumental in trying to in offering us a way to change the direction we're going. And Joanna responded, I have such deep gratitude for everything I experienced today, every beautiful flower and every giant tree. And I understood Joanna says, to get away from the despair that can overtake us with what we think may happen to get back to our gratitude. And I saw her practicing that, that we don't know. It's not looking good, but we don't know. And so she was getting back to her gratitude. And, you know, she made the choice, is that spiritual bypassing? But anyway, I find myself being in my gratitude for what is occurring now uh, in the face 
of what we're being told might happen. And I, I'm not sure if I'm bypassing or practicing. I love how she comes to the environment with love and there's others who do the opposite and just do it with anger and, and, and blaming people and, and hatred. And uh, I actually took a course like that once where, you know, we were all supposed to feel really guilty because we had been such bad people. And then coming across her, who you know was coming from a different point. Okay, who's next? Uh, Bill, would you like to participate in this conversation? Bill Mueller, yeah. Okay, there I am. Yeah. Yes, I, I uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm happy when I feel like I've made a little piece of progress or I've solved some problem that's been bothering me. Uh, you know, that of course won't be immediately replaced by another problem which one is bothering me, but I've, I've solved that one. And so I'm happy about that. Uh, so happiness is a conclusion for me. It's not a universal state, but it's a place that you've been aspiring to get to. And then you, when you get there, you're happy. And how about your partner? Well, I had something that really is very, very close to me right now been at a really bad place with our older son he wouldn't get vaccinated and all these things and we just couldn't talk to each other it was really terrible it went on for a long time we could worry about him but he wouldn't respond finally finally after some time we both we came together and i had been talking to a counselor he'd been talking to a counselor and the richness of being real to uh, either uh, each other has really opened a new relationship for us. And I'm so grateful for that. And it was being honest with each other and having a lot of pain to get through that adventure, you know, which just has showed us a lot of new things. It's also showed me a lot of ways that practice can be real. That not just saying nice things to each other, but being real is the basis for a, a relationship. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm so glad to hear that. I remember you've talked before about yeah. what was going on. And it took me, I mean, I had to go to the counselor. I know that a lot of this is my problems. And I told him that too. But I found he'd also been going to a counselor. So between us, we were ready for a new step. Do you want to call on someone? I don't know how much time do you have? It's 11 o'clock. Do you want to keep going? Let's well, see. is there someone else who would like to talk? Lori. If people need to go, I, I hate to hold them back. So feel free to do what you need to do. But I just, there's a couple of things I wanted to say. One is, Maybe I was splitting hairs as, as you were talking or as people were talking, but I see it, a difference between joy and happiness. And um, I think I don't worry so much about happiness. Uh, to me, I'm going for joy. <laughs> and that's, that's what I have when I'm in nature. It's pure deep joy. And it's also what comes up. Uh, in times where, um, well, when I somehow feel touched by the Dharma, it's pure joy for everything, you know? And also, I, you were talking a lot of, about a lot of circumstances, would, you know, would that cause you happiness or would it not? And 
I was just going to report on something else that I, I noticed not too, but they're fairly recently, or I probably notice it all the time, but how in my normal life of doing whatever I do every day, um, you know, I'm setting up, oh, I want this to happen, and you know, I'm making plans, but da, 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 da. and then so there's this up and down about, you know, it's not happening the way I want. But I've also found that um, I took this trip from hell one time. It was a car trip, and then I was very high on thyroid, so I, my brain wasn't functioning properly, and everything was going bad. I, I lost my wallet the first night out on the trip, and then I was low on gas, and I still had many miles to go. Anyway, it was just one horrible thing after another. But the simple, at some point, you know, when I was able to contact my credit card thing, I was going to actually have money because I was really worried having no money and being in a, another state and so forth and being hungry and being able to sleep somewhere and all that stuff. You know, the simple fact of receiving, um, knowing that I was going to receive cash at some point was just overwhelmingly you know, and I all of a sudden really, 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 really appreciated that. Whereas most days I don't worry at all about it. Or I went on a camping trip. And again, you know, you think about these things that you want to happen and it's so petty and not important. And then at some moment, you know, I, I, we had been hiking and it was hot and, and I took a, a sip of water and all of a sudden it was like, this water was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life, you know, is this great appreciation of gratitude for something so simple that we take for granted, you know, but when it's kind of iffy, you know, you really touch into that. So anyway, that's all I was going to say. Thank you. And Connie, are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. <laughs> well, are you happy? I've always had difficulty with defining those emotion words, happy, sad, grief, mad. Uh, I took a class when I was in acupuncture school. I don't remember what it's called, Lorena Monda's a process of wholeness or something where we were required to define the, the physical sensations that we thought other people assigned to different words, emotion words. And I found it very interesting to discover that for me anyway, the sensations of grief and happiness are very similar. So that kind of agrees with what Nelda said before. Um, that often what world, the world defines as opposite emotion words have a very similar physical sensation to me. I've heard so happiness, it, happiness is... It's uplifting and, and discovering something new to me. It could be little, like it, it can be finding a, a, a new trail on a place that I've hiked a million times. That this just just sort of a glee of, oh, like there is something new, so cool. <laughs> or a different stage of a flower blooming. I, I too find happiness in nature more often than not. But I, I do, I think grief and happiness are very similar. So I really liked your smile meditation. I hope you'll put that online someplace so I can steal it and use it places. Oh, you're welcome to. I'll send it to you. Yes. Um, just one question is, um, is the chemist, I've heard that before about grief and happiness being uh, very close. Is the, is the chemicals released? similar i think that gets back to the semantics that like peg's thing i have an issue with semantics too so i like oriental medicine's definition of grief uh, i never really understood that thing about well you didn't do your grieving right and blah 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 <laughs> so in oriental medicine to grief is to discern what is precious and let go of that which no longer serves life I like having those words around the concept of grief because it there that's the, it holds the happiness part right to discern what's precious and someone you've lost or in a situation you can no longer have or whatever 
and let go of the second arrow. Well, I mean, but it, it was precious, but I can't have it anymore. So you lose all the preciousness in that second arrow of, but I don't have it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Lots of good topics, Kim. Thank you. Well, thank you, everyone. We're going to skip the uh, ending here because we used up our time, but I hope the rest of the day can be your three vows and saying life and death is of immense importance. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thank you for moderating. Oh, you're uh, welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.